Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to have our Bible reading now uh, before Ryan comes and, and preaches to us. It's from Luke chapter 10. It'll be on the screen behind us, reading from verse 25. I'll read it for you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do, the, do likewise. New Year's Eve, I feel like traditions around New Year's might not be as big a thing as traditions that are kind of caught up around Christmas. But I wonder, do you have any kind of New Year's traditions? How do you see in the New Year? You know, I think generally there's a few kind of very, uh, you could say global New Year's Eve traditions, you know, we, we celebrate with fireworks. Um, you might see in the new year, well, at least this is what the movies show us, of a, a moment of love, of a cuddle and a kiss. Or maybe you spend seeing the new year in, or at least sometime around the new year, slowing down, getting a little bit reflective. And so, for me... Well, I haven't really always been someone who's up at 12 o'clock on New Year's Eve. I'm normally asleep. So I don't necessarily see the, <laughs> even seeing the fireworks or with the cuddle and a kiss with my wife. But I do generally take some time to slow down and to consider and to reflect on the year that was and the year that will be. Um, but I, at the same time, 
I'm, a, I'm not necessarily a New Year's resolution kind of guy, although I do do resolutions. I have goals. I have uh, habits that I want to see kind of play out in my life throughout the year um, that I kind of just generally do around my key relationships. But I can't really say the New Year's resolutions. And so for us, I wonder what would be your resolution, whether you want to call it a New Year's resolution or or not, that's fine. But do you have a resolution or resolutions for the new year? Us as a church at Southside, uh, we have a resolution. It's not necessarily a new year's one. It's one that we have every year. I mean, if you're regularly an, regular here, hopefully you know this off the top of your mind. It's, it's to make and grow disciples of Jesus. Uh, to see 1% of our, our community reached with the good news of Jesus. And, and this year we're going to be talking about that um, around the idea of being a part of somebody's story. And so, because of the, the, the heart of a resolution, I don't know if you've just kind of stopped to ask what even a resolution is, it's a simple thing as just having a, an intention, a purpose, a goal, somewhere you want to be at the end of the year. But often when it comes to any kind of resolution, New Year's or or any other one, it's one thing to know what or where you're going, but it's a completely different thing to know how. How do I get there? And what's interesting is that in Luke chapter 10, although it's not the first Sunday of the year, although... We're not talking about a New Year's resolution. We are talking about, or a, a resolution is, is raised for us. And a particular kind of resolution, a resolution about living in a relationship with God. And so the question is asked by this religious expert, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Or in other words, Jesus, my resolution is to to have a secure relationship with God. What does that look like? What do I need to do? It's not necessarily a a bad resolution. It's not necessarily a bad question at all. But Jesus doesn't answer the question right away. However, Jesus, he responds with his own two questions. What is written in the Bible? And how do you make sense of it? What is it that God says? And, and how do you put that into practice? And so before we go any further, I'm just going to pray for us because we didn't do that. Uh, and then we'll, we'll launch into this passage a little bit more. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sit here on the first Sunday of a new year and know that as we sit here, you're with us. That you will speak to us. And so we pray as we listen to your son speak. As we listen to him, help us make sense of what it means to live in a relationship with you. What it means to make and grow disciples of, of your son. That you would give us the grace to, Father, hear you. To understand and that our lives, Father, would be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, what does the Bible say, Jesus asks, and how? How do you do it? Jesus isn't just asking what does it say or what is it, but how? What's your strategy or what is the strategy? And like any faithful Jewish man or particularly a faithful Israelite religious expert, uh, he answers with two key Old Testament passages. He goes to, to these two passages that you would say would be the core or most important resolution that any Israelite person would, ha- would have. Any, pe- any one of God's people would say, if you ask them, you know, what is your resolution for this year? They would say this. And it comes from Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus and a, a number of other times in the Old Testament. But he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. What these passages talk about is, is kind of, it's, it's obvious there, it's love. The love for God and the love for neighbor. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Correctly. That's not all what Jesus says, is it? He says, do this. Do this and you will live. Now, there's lots of meaning uh, uh, jam-packed into this small, short response from Jesus. But just one uh, thing that's very clear on Jesus' mind is that knowing the right answer is one thing. Whether it shapes your life, whether it's what you do, is another. Knowing the right answer doesn't necessarily mean somebody knows God. Well, that's at least what Jesus, how Jesus sees it. But this whole scene, though, it is a little bit odd. It's odd. The, the, the question's odd. The scene is odd. Because this religious leader, he obviously knows the answer to his question. He's just answered it. But the next verse, verse 29, it helps us make a little bit more sense of, of this oddness. What is really going on here? We find out that this religious expert, this man, he wants to, to justify himself. His hidden agenda is, is to make sure, he wants to make sure that him and God, that, that they're good. That's what it means to, to be justified or righteous before God, to have God say, you and me, you and I, we're good, we're okay, everything's right between you and me, we're friends. And this whole sense, uh, this, but this whole sense also gives us the impression that before this crowd and Jesus, it's not just before him and God that he wants to somehow be seen as right and good, but it's before other people. He wants others to say, yeah, you're good. And this hidden agenda, his, his real question now comes out. It comes out in the second part of that verse. It's interesting, he doesn't ask, well, who is God? He asks, well, who is my neighbor? This religious expert asks, who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love then? Or in other words, how do I achieve this? If this is the resolution that, that I need to achieve, how do I do it? Who's in, who's out? Which people do I need to worry about loving? And which ones 
can I safely withhold my love from? He knows what this relationship or this resolution to live in a relationship with God looks like of loving God and loving neighbour. But the how, his question is how, how, how do I do this? What's the strategy? But by asking how, or sorry, by asking who, the religious expert tries to, to set some, some limitations, some boundaries. He wants to know who he can safely withhold himself from and still safely be seen as, as loving God and loving others. And at the heart of this religion, at the the heart of this religious leader's question isn't necessarily a question about lo- wanting to know how to love God and love others. Really, it's about how can I love myself? How can I protect myself? How can I love me rather than wholeheartedly love others? And what we need to, to, to pause here and, and just kind of notice Jesus' concerns at this moment in this interaction with this leader and, and really with us as well. We need to share Jesus' concern that, that knowing the right answer is one thing, but whether it shapes our life is another thing. Knowing the right answer doesn't necessarily mean that we know God. Knowing that we're a church, if you're a regular here, that we make and grow disciples of Jesus, just because you know that answer doesn't necessarily mean that we are doing it. And so as we think about then, well then how do we make sense of making and growing disciples of Jesus? How do we, in other words, love others well? What's the strategy for this? We need to to be watching our hearts too for the fear that our hearts too, like this religious leader, might start to set limitations, boundaries to see which people we can safely withhold ourselves from so that we still appear to be actually loving God and loving others the fear of, of self-love rather than love for God and love for others. But maybe the, the sad thing is that we may already perhaps do that. Like this religious leader, maybe we are we trying to figure out who we can safely withhold ourselves from. So how is Jesus going to respond to that? How is Jesus going to respond to this man? How is Jesus going to respond to us? In verse 30 to 35, Jesus responds by telling a story. He tells a simple but significant story. It's a, it's a parable with a powerful point. And Jesus tells this parable about a man who is returning from his journey. Pick up the story with me in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
traveling this dangerous road from Jericho to Jerusalem. This man is, is left naked, half dead. But verse 31 and 32, well, this sense of hope emerges. A priest comes by, going down the same road, but noticing the man, he, he passes on the other side. And then a Levite comes along. And he too notices this man. He sees him. But again, like the priest passes on the other side, if there was anybody who you would expect, the reason why you get a sense of hope perhaps in this moment is because if there's anybody who's going to show love and mercy or compassion, it would be these men because they work in the temple. In the, te- the temple for, for uh, Jewish people, uh, people for God's people it was a place where God's personal presence was and these men dwelled in that place they worked in that place so if there's anyone who knew God and knew what it meant to love love others it was these men but what do we see hope uh, eludes this poor man as they pass on the other side and so just as hope seemed to disappear verse 33 a Samaritan as he is travelling on the road, came where the man was and he notices him, he sees him and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine and then he, he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. There's no question of what is in this for me, no question of what will happen to me the Samaritan coming and seeing, feeling compassion for him, touching this half-dead and naked man, cleaning and covering his wounds, clothing him with the clothes off his own back, taking him up in his arms. The Samaritan puts him on his own animal and brings him safely to a place where the Samaritan cares for him. But not only that, uh, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. <coughs> when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra costs that you've had. The Samaritan makes sure that the recovering man will continue to be cared for. Handing over care to this innkeeper, he provides uh, three weeks' worth of, of support for this man. And the Samaritan meets all his needs and more, if need be. So what's the point? It's a, it's a simple story. It's just this parable. But what is the point? Well, Jesus tells us his point in verse 36. He tells us his point, or he makes his point by, again, asking another question. It's pretty classic Jesus, asking questions. What does he ask? He says, which one of these three do you, uh, do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Notice how Jesus reframes the situation. He, he reframes the, the discussion. He changes the perspective. Jesus' question asks this religious expert to take a new perspective on life, on himself, on what it means to be in a relationship with God. From someone 
who needs to love, which isn't necessarily wrong, but primarily to see himself or to see himself as one who is in need of being loved by someone. Jesus' questions put this religious, religious leader in the ditch. He puts this religious leader in, in the place of being half dead, naked and beaten with nothing on the side of the road. Jesus changes the question from, who is my neighbour? He changes it to, well, who showed neighbourly love? Jesus puts this guy in the position of needing to receive love. And this religious expert, well, he answers Jesus' question. It's an obvious answer. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go. Go and do likewise. Jesus, his parable, his story reveals that what this religious expert failed to see is what stood behind the words he quoted from the Old Testament. He failed to see what prompted those words, what, what comes before those words, what produces a life of loving God and loving others. Those words of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself because the prior and primary message was of God's prior and primary love of them, of him. God's love for us. Deuteronomy, before it even starts talking about doing anything, God reminds his people that you are my treasured possession. That on you I have set my affection. I have set my love. There's one of my favourite verses in the Old Testament. Hosea talks about God picking up his people like a son who is beaten and broken and dead and in, in the land of Egypt, if you know the story, and he carries them out. Loving arms of a father. Just like the God, and just like the God who they belong to. Full of mercy and love and compassion. God's people were to then like him, having experienced such an extravagant and gracious love, were to reflect him to those that he placed around them in their lives, who he placed on their path, so to speak. And so although Jesus' parable, like we've kind of mentioned or hinted at, does actually encourage us, and not just encourage us, but commands us to, to love those God has placed on the, in the path of our lives. Remember, Jesus' command is to go and do to love like God, to, f- to feel that weight, to love like God loves. Boy, it's amazing, but that's, humanly speaking, an impossible task because we are not God. And so, which brings us to Jesus' point. Jesus wants this religious expert, and he wants us, he wants this religious expert to know as he seeks to to love God and love others, as we seek to do the same by making and growing disciples of Jesus, Jesus wants us to know 
that we need to remember that we are firstly in that place of needing to be loved, needing compassion. And so how does Jesus respond to this guy? How does Jesus respond to us? Well, he tells us the story of the gospel. He tells us the story of God's love and that we need to be loved by him before that we can make sense of what it means to love others like him. We are the ones with the beaten, bruised, the broken, inside and out. And God, <coughs> Jesus, tells us in this story, was willing to get into the ditch, to get in with us. In Jesus, God gets dirty and bloody, lifting us up, carrying us and, and being, or bringing us back to this, a healthy and, and living relationship with him. But God notices he comes and he counts the cost to meet our, our particular needs of a restored relationship with him, of undoing the brokenness that the world has inflicted upon us. This is to experience God's love and God shows us that he values us and he shows us the depth of his affection for us and there's many places in the New Testament which talk about this. There's you know, Ephesians where it talks about we were dead in our sins, dead in the ditch, unable to save ourselves, but God uh, came and he rescued us. I love this passage in 1 John chapter 4. It says, this is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this is, we could say, Jesus' strategy for making and growing disciples of Jesus. This is Jesus' strategy for how to love God and love others. Well, it is being loved by God that bears the fruit of these things. And so what this means for us is, isn't necessarily something that we need to, to, to do. It is really first a thing, to, to, caps, to, to phrase this properly, is to, to be with someone or being with someone throughout the year. Because notice in the story how Jesus shows us what it means to be with God, to be with someone who is present, who is actually genuinely there, who is consistent, that this is actually who God really is. He is compassionate. This is just how, how he does life how he relates. This is his heart. He's reliable. You can trust that God knows just the right way to care for you. He's interested. He wants to be there. He wants to be there for you. And notice though how the story that Jesus tells uh, about us and God makes us feel, gives us a sense of that we are safe. That when you are harmed, God is deeply responsive to your needs. Notice how God, he sees, he notices, he shows comfort. 
God knows the right way of comforting us when we are uncomfortable and upset and hurt. He, he knows how to be compassionate to us. Notice though how it's not just the initial response of noticing, seeing, coming and being and, and caring for us, but it's how God supports us going forward. We can start to feel healed and ready and capable and competent to live in new ways to the actually then love like God. Jesus says elsewhere in, in one of the Gospels, John, I'm pretty sure it is, love one another as I have loved you. So knowing that we are taken care of, genuinely taken care of, knowing that whatever we face, hardship, suffering that comes our way from, from belonging to Jesus that we are taken care of. We don't need to go looking for people either to love because God has placed them in our lives. We simply need to be aware of those who God has placed around us. And when we notice them, those people God has placed in our life, we can simply just enjoy and participate in actually reflecting this love that we have experienced by simply just by becoming a loving presence like God is in our life. Being present for somebody, genuinely being there, being consistent that it's over time. You're not popping in and out of their life. Being reliable, that someone can trust that you will care for them. But I think particularly as us as Christians, knowing that you rely reliably <laughs> sorry, um, be reliable in actually bringing God into their picture. Inviting them to see what it is to be in a relationship with a loving God. And being genuinely interested. The fact that you actually really want to be there with them. If our lives contradict any of these things, we are not loving like God loves. And maybe we need to remember that God has loved us these ways and just spend a moment, take some time to slow down and, and, and be with the one who loves us. Because the, the loving question Jesus then goes on to ask us is, then once we're present, consistent, reliable, consist, um, and interested, what does Jesus ask? What is it that I can do for you? What is it that you need? How can I love you? This is the, he said, the strategy for, for making and growing disciples of Jesus. So that, first off, we remember that we're the ones in need and that God has come and met us in our need. He loved us and he continues to do so because he is the God who is present, consistent, reliable and interested. And so let us resolve then to, to be and also to become God's people, the people God saved us to be, to reflect his love to wholeheartedly love God and to wholeheartedly love those he has placed in our life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we sit here now, 
that you're genuinely here with us. That your consistent compassion, affection rests upon us. And that we can just trust you right now to care for us in the way that we all need. And that you actually really want to. Thank you that we're safe with you, that we're comforted with you, and that we're supported with you. And Father, we pray that because this is who we are, that we would go and do likewise. Father, please help us to become the people who we are in your Son, Jesus. Help us to be like him. Help us to be like you. Help us to genuinely be there for the people you've placed in our life. Help us to remain there, not running away. Help us to, to be trustworthy people. People who others know that they'll get love from, but also people who others know that will talk about your son Jesus. We pray that we'd be, Father, interested and really wanting to be around like you are with us. We pray, this, Father, so that what might happen, what might be the fruit that you bear through this, is that we might see people become followers of your son, Jesus. That this year, Father, would be a year where we don't just appear to be making and growing disciples, but we actually do it. Thank you for the grace that you have given us in the past as we seek to make and grow disciples. And we just pray for that continued grace into the future. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.